Father, in these moments that we have, we ask that you would be honored as we search your word and understand your truth for our lives today. Pray that you, Holy Spirit, would come and be our teacher and our guide in these moments. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here with us today. If you have your Bible, will you take it and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we will be landing this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're using the the Pew Bible that's in front of you, you can find that on page 1113, I believe. Uh, Pastor Rick is away this morning. He is uh, filling the the pulpit at uh, Church of the Covenant downtown as they are awaiting their new pastor. He's there speaking for them today. Just to be clear, he is not their new pastor. Um, he's just filling in. So uh, he'll be back with us next week. I think it's important that as we uh, open up uh, each week uh, these, these passages in this book that we're walking through this summer, just to quickly remind all of us why we're doing this. Why are we walking through the book of 1 Corinthians chapter by chapter, section by section, theme by theme, uh, over the summer. And we want to remind you that, that what we see happening in the life and in the body and in the culture of that church in Corinth, as Paul records it for us here in the book of 1 Corinthians, what we see happening there nearly 2,000 years ago is very similar to what is happening in our lives, in our churches, and in our culture today. The reason we do this is because what Paul has written to them has tremendous value even 2,000 years later. In their day, they were, they were so caught up in their culture, they were so caught up in their social interests, they were so caught up in their fascination with, with entertainment and personal pleasure, they were so broken in their relationships, broken in their marriages, and... They were so caught up in their desire to do whatever they wanted to do just because they could do it and it was their right to do it. And they were so caught up with the tendency at keeping people at an arm's length because of class or status or or social position that it was damaging their church. It was damaging what was going on inside the body of those people. It wasn't just things that happened externally. But then as they gathered together as a group of people in these small churches, in these homes that they would gather in, it was affecting them and it was affecting their life with each other. And everything that I just rattled off that was happening in the culture and in the days of the the people of Corinth happens to us today, every single day. We have broken homes. We have broken marriages. We have the pursuit of pleasure over and against uh, the the feelings of other people. We are caught up in our social uh, climate and in our our culture and in our society. and And we walk this line. How much can I live like the world and still hold on to faith? And we have this tendency at times, too, to keep others at an arm's length because of status and and, uh, culture. And so it's important that we look at what Paul says to this church in that moment so that we can apply it to this church in this moment. 
And I think there's tremendous value. So as we approach chapter 12, and as we walk into chapter 12, he begins a, a whole new uh, illustration on a, uh, on a, a topic that, his, that we will refer back to in a few moments. But he opens chapter 12 talking about spiritual gifts. And if you've grown up in the church or you've been a Christian for a number of years, you've probably heard about spiritual gifts. You may have even explored them. You may have even tried to figure out what your spiritual gift is. You may have taken some assessments and things like that to find out where you land and what God is doing in your heart and in your life through this idea and this area of spiritual gifts. I want to tell you a story of something that happened to me in Somerset. Can I tell you another Somerset story? It has nothing to do with hunting or anything like that. We were in a small group, a small group Bible study in Somerset, and, and one night um, we were studying spiritual gifts, and we were trying to figure out um, what, what the whole idea of gifting was and what our gift was. And we, we had a, 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 an outside assessment that we were taking and sharing with each other, and we were going around the room sharing what our assessment said and revealed about ourselves. And, and if you've ever taken these assessments, um, some of them are, are really good. You can get them online or you can get them at a, a local Christian bookstore, and, and you can take the assessment, and if you do it with a group of people or you share your results, they can affirm that what you see as your results is actually true in your life. One of the things that was affirmed with me that night was the fact that I do not have the gift of mercy. Okay? So we took the assessment. I, you know, I did score. I did make this. I did have a point on the board. Okay? But it was one point in the gift of mercy. And I was okay with that because I knew where I lined up and, and that was affirmed nicely by other people that I do not have the gift of mercy and kind of went through our night. Well, we got to the most, what I think is the most important part of the small group experience and that's dessert. And um, we're sitting, we're standing in the kitchen. Um, all of us are standing in the kitchen, husbands, wives, some single people. We're standing there talking over a plate of cake. And, and our friend, my friend Ryan, was on one side of the door, of a doorway, and I was on the other. And our friend Jim was standing right in the middle of the door frame. Now, the door led uh, down a flight of steps to the basement. The door, there was no door even on the frame. So it wasn't oh, that, it, that it was open or closed. There was just no door there. It was open to the basement. And we're standing and having a good time talking. And all of a sudden, you see Jim holding his cake and you see him take a step backwards. And he goes down the steps. Ryan and I are watching this happen. And with our gift of mercy, we kind of step in and peer down the steps to see what's going on. Now, Jim amazingly, amazingly, Jim did not tumble head over heels down the steps. He somehow caught himself and pirouetted down the steps to the base, cake in hand. <laughs> Completely amazing. Didn't, never seen anything like it. Everybody else in the kitchen is flipping out. They're rushing to the door. And of course, you know, Ryan and I are standing there looking no big deal. He's okay. But everybody else is flipping out. They don't know what's going on. Someone's dialing 911 and trying to get everything. And they're like, 
why didn't you guys react? And Ryan and I were like, we don't have the gift of mercy. I don't know. (laughs) He's okay. You know, let's eat cake. And um, it's important that we know what our spiritual gift is. It's important that we know what our spiritual gift is not. But it's important that we understand that, that God has given us this thing called spiritual gifts that we may encourage and edify and build up each other. That's the point of them. The reason that He gives you a particular gift is so that you will use that gift and exercise that gift to encourage people around you, specifically followers of Christ, brothers and sisters in the faith. This whole idea of spiritual gifts is something special that God um, gives you and enables you to do, sometimes for a moment, sometimes for a season, but different for each of us so that we may build each other up. Now here's the problem in Corinth. As we jump into this passage this morning, the problem in Corinth, as Paul states, is this issue of spiritual gifts. Because it seems as though in this church, in this group of people that were gathering together in Corinth, that these people were taking and, and latching on to one particular spiritual gift. And they were elevating that spiritual gift over and above all of the other gifts. Almost as to say, the fact that I have this gift makes me more important than you because you don't have this gift. The gift that they were talking about is speaking in tongues. Now that may be foreign for some of us today, but it is an actual gift where God gives people the ability to speak words that that are not understood by those who are around them, but at the same time, he gives somebody else in the body the gift of interpreting that so that when those two come together, they are used for the benefit, for the edification, for the encouragement of the believers who are gathered together in worship. But something different was happening in Corinth. Something very different was happening in their body of believers. And Paul addresses this in this chapter, what was happening was they were abusing the gift and they were keeping people at an arm's length or at a distance through the abuse of their gift. Now, as we look at this, this whole scene of 1 Corinthians, especially in these later chapters and, and later areas of, of the book, There seems to be an overriding theme that Paul keeps writing about and he uses different illustrations that are uh, from the life of that church to bring it to light. It seems as though what is happening in this section of Paul's writing back to this church is that there's an issue of disunity among the people. That when they gather together, there is strife. That when they gather together, they're not unified. That when they gather together, they don't live and work and operate and worship God with a sense of commonality, of unity, of of being believers together, trying to get from today to tomorrow in a way that honors each other and in a way that honors God. For some reason, disunity had come into the church. 
And Paul is trying to address this in very different ways. If you remember, last week, Pastor Rick, we talked about, he talked about what was happening in their communion practices in their churches. Do you remember that? When he talked about some of them, in that, in that culture, we have to remember the church was not this. The church was groups of people, which it still is. It's just people getting together. But there, they gathered in homes. They didn't have these great buildings. They gathered in homes. And when they celebrated communion, it was a part of a greater feast. And what was happening was in these homes, because there was disunity and they weren't considerate of each other, some people would gather early, begin to eat the feast, eat up all the food, drink all of the drink, and the food was gone. The people were intoxicated and it was an abuse of the practice. There was disunity. That was the illustration last week. And if we're not careful in the church, if we're not careful in studying this, we will arrive to conclusions that say, well, you shouldn't have food in the church. That's not the point of what Paul was writing. What Paul was writing is there's disunity in your body. And it's in this setting, it's coming to life because of the food and the meal and the the abuse of the meal. Chapter 12, same theme, same root issue. There is disunity in the church. You are not working together. You are not striving together. You are not caring for each other. And here's the illustration, spiritual gifts. Some of you, some of you are taking your spiritual gift, the gift of tongues specifically. That's a hot button issue with these people. So much so that Paul is going to, going to uh, talk about it in chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14. Tongues is the main issue in those three chapters around the whole root idea of disunity. And he says to them that what you are doing is you are abusing this gift. You are elevating it among others, acting as though you are better than other people because you have this gift, and because of the way you practice this gift, you are holding other people at a distance. You are not doing it or practicing this gift in a way that encourages or builds up or edifies each other. You are so caught up in the middle of it. You are so caught up in your own experience of being able to speak in tongues. You hold it to yourself. There is a practice that many of them have probably would, would have probably experienced or have, would have seen in their pagan temple practices. In the pagan temple practices, it was common to hear unintelligible language for this idea of, of euphoria and ecstasy to sweep over the mind and the spirit of people. And they would be all caught up in the moment of what was happening in that pagan temple worship. And in the middle of it, they would then speak unintelligible words, speaking in tongues. But Paul, in this letter and in this chapter, makes a clear distinction. He makes a clear distinction between what what was done in pagan temple practice and what the Holy Spirit of God does in the hearts and the lives of people. This pagan temple practice was an abuse. If you bring it over now into the church, what you used to do in the pagan worship and you try to now do in the church is an abuse. 
You don't care about encouraging and building up other people. You're caught up in your own euphoria and and ecstasy and living it out through your own body and through your own self and through your own experience. And he said, that's not right. The gift is given by God so that you can encourage and build up each other. And what's important to understand here as we look at chapter 12, the gift of tongues is not what's in question here. It's their attitude about the gift that the issue is is about. There's absolutely no problem, no problem with tongues or with prophecy or the interpretation of tongues in Paul's teaching. Nowhere do you see in, in his writing that he diminishes or dismisses the spiritual gifts. The problem was their attitude of superiority because of this particular gift. They felt as though they were more spiritual than others. And because they practiced it in a way that did not encourage and build up other people, it was an abuse and it kept other people at a distance. There was disunity. The issue here, as Paul illustrates, is the unity of the body through what we have to offer God by what God has given to us. Paul's desire is that we would be united and unified as a body of believers through what God has given us, the spiritual gifts, so that we can use that to encourage and build up other people. So he writes these words. In verse 1, now about spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant, period. What's interesting to me as he opens this whole dialogue is how he uses that word, that phrase at the end. I don't want you to be ignorant. We're going to talk about spiritual things. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts, but I don't want you to be ignorant about it. You see, in the Corinthian culture, they held wisdom and knowledge and education at a very high regard. And right out of the gate, it's almost as though, it's almost as though Paul kind of, uh, it's, it's almost like a backhanded, you know, course correction to them. You think you're living your life right. You're so filled with wisdom. You're so filled with knowledge. You're so filled with understanding. That's nice in how you practice it. But let me tell you, I don't want you to be ignorant because actually you don't understand. You don't understand what's going on. You don't understand this practice. It's as though he's saying that by your actions, by your very actions, you are showing your ignorance in understanding spiritual gifts. And it is clear that in their current practice, they don't understand what God's desire is for them in using their spiritual gifts. He goes on and says this in 2 and 3. You know that when you were pagans, somehow, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to the mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Again, he's referencing now and bringing to light that, that practice of, of speaking a different language that is unintelligible through the, this ecstasy and euphoric feeling that keeps it focused on them and what they can get out of it. Paul recognizes this and makes it clear that there is a difference between these two ways, these two practices. 
There's a difference between being led, led astray in euphoria and ecstasy and the Spirit of God moving in the hearts of people in a language that may seem uncommon in the moment, but is then followed up with interpretation. There's a clear difference there. He'll break that down in later sections, but he draws a line and says, you are not to live a life that abuses these practices and brings disunity to your body. As he moves on after he lays that kind of foundation, he moves on in verses 4 through 11 to kind of break down the whole idea and and bring it to, to light in a different way. And as he does this, as he talks about the gifts, and as he talks about the desire for unity, he brings to light two things. First of all, the, the diversity in God's design. The diversity in God's design. And secondly, unity is God's desire. Diversity is God's design, and unity is God's desire. Now I want you to look at this passage. I want you to look at verses 4 through 11. I want you to look at it very carefully. And notice where things are different and where things are the same. He says this, verse 4, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these, all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them. He gives all of those to each one, to each person, just as He determines. I think Paul is trying to make a point. I think he emphatically brings to light for those people in that church that diversity is God's design. Fifteen times, at least, fifteen times, he talks about differences. He talks about each one. He talks about to another, this is given. Diversity is God's design. And unity is God's desire. In the same vein, he shows that unity is what God desires as he's created people with diversity. We are united under Him and through Him. And in this case of spiritual gifts, we are united through the Holy Spirit. At least eight times He talks about the gifts coming from the same and the one Spirit. Each of these differences is given by the same. There's no competition for loyalties. There's no competition for allegiances in the kingdom. It all comes from God. It all comes from the Spirit of God, the Son of God, and God the Father. He gives all of these different, diverse gifts to a group of different, diverse people so that they can do one thing, the common good. Encourage and build up each other. And to unite the body. 
Now, having all said all of that, what in the world does that mean for you and me today? I mean, we read this thing and we read about spiritual gifts and healing and miracles and prophecy. And, you know, honestly, we walk through the days, at least a lot of us in our church, we walk through each day and we don't hear a lot of speaking in tongues and we don't see a lot of these things happening. So, so what is Paul in this passage, in this opening, sharing for us today? What, what can we take away from this? I was really wrestling with that this week and trying to figure out what I can share with you. And, and I was talking uh, to Pastor Rick about it, and, and you know, I was, and I told him, you know, I don't want to step into your passage next week. He's going to come in next week and get into chapter 12, verse 12 through uh, whatever. And and really, his section next week it just oozes with practical application. I mean, for, right out of the gate, it's this is where it applies in your life. And and I'm trying to stay true to the text and true to my assigned passage. And he said, don't worry about it. You can you can jump into my passage if you want. I said, no way. No way I'm stepping on the boss's passage. Because here's what's going to happen. He's then going to rework everything, and I'm going to get the women speaking in church passage. I know his trick. That's why he sits in the big chair. He can handle that one. Here's the take home for today, in all seriousness. There is a theological issue at hand. There's a theological issue in hand that plays into the church today. Some of you, some of you may have been exposed to or influenced by teachings that have said that there is a second blessing subsequent to salvation that comes and that is marked specifically, specifically by speaking in tongues. This then is the evidence of the Holy Spirit guiding the person's life and dwelling within them. There's this teaching that says if you're a true believer, then you will speak in tongues. And that is the evidence then that the Holy Spirit lives within you and is guiding you. Now, one thing I hope you know is true by your coming to this church and, and, and participating in our services, I hope you know and understand that we hold true to the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person of God that works in the lives of people. The Holy Spirit is God working in the lives of people. The Holy Spirit fills us. He guides us. He directs us. He teaches us. He convicts us. He confronts us. And He challenges us. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is real and lives within us when we say yes to Jesus. But I want to be clear too, that there is in our teaching and in our study of the Word of God, we do not see anything that says about a second blessing, and that speaking in tongues is evidence of this. It's a shame. It's a shame that we have taken poor study and bad theology and have tainted the picture of spiritual gifts. Let me point you back to the, the teaching text this morning and keep things in, the, in context of what Paul was saying. He says that tongues, that speaking in tongues is one gift given to some people 
as the Spirit of God determines. Just as He determines, the Spirit of God will give each of us a gift or many gifts, but they are particular to each and every one of us so that we may encourage and we may edify and we may build up the people of faith. Nowhere, nowhere does he say, everyone must display speaking in tongues or any other spiritual gift as evidence that the Holy Spirit resides in them. And what is disappointing is we've allowed bad teaching and poor theology to raise up people who are seeking something that God doesn't even want them to have for that moment because that's not His desire. And on the other extreme, we have churches that are then throwing out all of the spiritual gifts because of bad teaching. And we end up with churches filled with people who just come and sit and sing a song, and get up, and get in their car, and leave. Because we're not trying to even think about tapping into the power that God has for us to fill us for a moment, for a special cause, to encourage and edify and build up each other. That's frustrating, and it's disappointing, but it's true. We believe that Spiritual gifts are valid and available to us today as God sees fit to distribute them to people to be used in an appropriate manner with the bottom line to encourage and to edify and to build up each other. We don't believe that we should seek one gift over and above another. For the Corinthians, it was tongues. For us, it may be something else. For us, maybe we want more uh, of the gift of faith or more of the gift of teaching or more of the gift of hospitality or something else. And we try to seek those things. But, but what we want to say is this morning, just as much as we believe in the gifts of God, we also believe that we shouldn't seek the gifts of God. We should let the Holy Spirit move in our hearts and move in our lives and enable us as he sees fit for a moment or a season or a period of time in our lives. Our founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, A.B. Simpson, put it this way, seek not, forbid not. And I think that's a pretty good standard to follow. We shouldn't be seeking spiritual gifts. It's not a, it's not a Christmas list. It's not something we write down, I'd like this gift, I'd like that one, I'd like this one, and then hand it over to mom and dad for Christmas morning, right? To deliver, I'm not going there. We give it to mom and dad Christmas morning. And it's not so much a gift you know, I hope I get this. It's mom and dad, I want this, right? It, I mean, that it's the expectation list. With the Holy Spirit and in bad teaching and in poor theology, we, we write these things that say, I want this gift and this gift and this gift and this gift, so God, give it to me. And I think it's clear from Paul's teaching and from Paul's, the context of the passage, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are valid but they are given to God, by God and distributed into the lives of the people of God as God chooses. And they must be administered and practiced appropriately so that people will be encouraged, so that people will be edified, so that people will be built up, so that there will be unity.
think the takeaway for us this morning is a theological one that says unity is not uniformity. But I think there's also a pragmatic issue that says unity is not uniformity. And so let's not lose sight of the forest by looking at just one tree. Let's not look at just the issue of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and the abuse of the gifts and trying to figure out what that what Paul's talking about in the abuse of the gifts and get that straightened and miss the forest of the deeper issue that Paul was talking about being the unity and the disunity that is happening in the local church in Corinth. And if we're not careful, the disunity that could happen in our church today. The bigger problem was unity. That's the theme of the section. He uses the spiritual gifts analogy in 12, 13, and 14 to drive home his point that unity must be present in the body. This is what God created us for. This is what God called us together for. When we stand under the banner of Christ, we are diverse. We are a different people. But we are united. We lock arm in arm with each other for the cause of Christ. To see the message go forth. To encourage, to edify each other. To get from today to tomorrow honoring God and honoring each other. And if we're not careful, we will allow the differences of culture, of previous religious experiences, of background, of heritage, of social status, of education, of socioeconomic position, of our understanding of God's Word, of our knowledge. We will allow our own understanding of our own spiritual gift. If we are not careful, we will allow all of those things to fester inside of us the way it did in that church in Corinth and cause disunity in our body if we're not careful. And I would ask you this morning to take a very honest look at ourselves. I would ask all of us to take a very honest look at ourselves and ask this question. Have we ever looked across the aisle? Have we ever looked across the hallway at the people of this church and measured them? Measured their spirituality? Measured their depth of faith? Measured them against ourselves and say, well, you know, I know where 1 Corinthians is. I don't need the table of contents. I've memorized more verses than you have. I have the gift of hospitality. I know that I can do this. And I know they can't. Have we ever done that? Have we ever done that in our spirit? Maybe not overtly, but quietly in our own heart. We've looked at somebody else and we've raised an eyebrow in our spirit. Man, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I've got it all together. How often do we feel better than somebody else or more important than someone else because we think we have a deeper faith? How often do we look at somebody in, in a group and say, oh, I know I'm the smartest in that group. 
maybe a small group, maybe just one or two of you. (laughs) Or you may just be by yourself. But can we be honest this morning? I mean, do we ever do that? Nobody has ever done that. I'm not asking you to raise a hand, but think about it. How often do we get puffed up with pride because we know that, that we serve God in a certain way in, in, at First Alliance Church of Erie, you know? And we walk around with some kind of spiritual exaltation about ourselves because I'm an elder, or I'm an usher, or I'm a greeter, or I serve in this capacity or that capacity. How often do we puff ourselves up with pride because maybe it's not the, the, the gift of tongues that we have, but it's the gift of faith, you know, and we can risk more than other people because God's given us a special portion of faith in our lives, so we risk more. And you know what? If you just risk more, you'd be like me, and you'd be better. You'd have more faith. Or, you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher, and I've got the gift of teaching, and I'm, I'm pretty good, and and that's why so many people come to my class. Do you know how that damages the body? Do you know how those attitudes of pride, of sizing somebody up from across the hall, to not, not even getting to know them and stepping into their lives and understanding who they are, you know how much that hurts the body of Christ? You know how much damage that does to a local church. I think that's one reason why that some people in churches feel inferior. I mean, they come to church and they sit down. They're like, you know, I'm I'm never going to measure up to the person that's over there, the guy that's teaching the class or the lady that's doing this or the guy. Or I, I just can't measure up and they feel inferior. And they sit in church and they sneak out because they don't they don't want to be contacted by anybody because they feel like they can't measure up. And I think it's also a reason why people feel as though they've got nothing to offer. I don't get involved in my church because I don't have anything to offer. Look at all these great things that everybody's doing and, you know, playing music and singing and drums and organs and all of these other things. And what do I have to offer? I can't even play the radio right, you know. What am I going to do in this church? And if we're not careful, I'm not saying it's present and I'm not... I'm not speaking words of condemnation this morning, but I'm asking us to ask a question. Do we find it in our hearts at at certain moments? Because if we're not careful, those things will sneak in and people will feel inferior and people will feel like they have nothing to offer and they they will shrink back from what God may be asking them to do. And you may be missed, you may miss being edified and encouraged by somebody else because they don't feel like they can speak into your life. And I think, my personal opinion, I think this is why we're losing a generation in the church. I think this is why I believe the statistic is the age group of 18 to 35 is one of the most unchurched groups in America today. Not because they've never gone to church, but because they've been to church and by the time of 18, they're done. I'm gone. Disunity will wreck a local body. 
God has called us to be united under the banner of Christ. He has not called us to be uniformed in personality, in process, or in practice. We are not all to dress alike, sit the same way, walk the same way, have the same Bible version, um, eat the same meals, go to the same... It's not about uniformity. It's about unity. We are to be united under the banner of Christ. We are to stand arm in arm under the banner of Christ with a multitude of people who are who have different different spiritual gifts but the same God. I'm pretty sure Paul was clear on that, wasn't he? When he used the word different or alluded to it 15 times in 7 verses. Under the banner of Christ, we stand with a multitude of people who have different passions, but the same God. Who have different, who have come from different backgrounds, but the same Spirit. Who have had different journeys in coming to Christ, but they have the same Christ. They have different abilities, but the same Heavenly Father. And they have different things to offer the church body, but the same Spirit who enables all of those abilities. Someone is not better than another person because they can sing or play an instrument or speak on a stage. They are not more spiritual than someone else who is behind the scenes making coffee, stuffing the worship folder that you hold this morning, or packing the welcome bags that you pick up at the table. There's no better than, deeper than, more spiritual than. There's none of that. And we need to be sure that we don't fall into the temptation of puffing ourselves up and priding ourselves on what we can do or what gift God has given us or what place we have in the church. We need to live beyond this idea. Live beyond that because I have this or that um, ability or talent that I am more spiritual than someone else. Move beyond the fact that because I have my last name is a certain one, I am better than. Or I work at a certain location, I am better than someone else. Or my degree is in this field and so I am better than you. Or I live in this neighborhood or I have some that, that gives me some kind of better standing with Christ and His church. That's all ridiculous. Because under the banner of Christ, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And we are to take everything that makes us different and unite it under that banner for the sake of Christ. To take His kingdom one step further to encourage and build up and edify each other so that we can get from today to tomorrow in a way that honors God and honors other people. We're not to use our differences in a way of abuse and in a way that keeps other people at a distance that causes disunity. He's not even saying let go of your differences, but don't rest in them. Don't trust in them. We've been called to rest and to trust in Christ. In His name. In His power. In His strength. And He will give to us, in the context of chapter 12, the the spiritual gift 
we need to have just as He determines for the common good. Think about it. Only under the banner of Christ could all of these different people stand united. I mean, look across the room. There's some real characters in here. I mean, really. Think about it. Only under the banner of Christ could we all be united and press for the same goal and be able to do it in love and unity. So as I close this morning, here's the takeaway. Today as you leave this building, tomorrow morning when you wake up and you're thinking chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, what does that mean for me today? Let me ask you this. What would it look like for us to understand, understand and embrace the way God is gifting us to be used by Him in the kingdom? What would that look like in your life? If you didn't only understand it, but you embraced it. What is God asking of me? For some of us, the question is, can we rest in the way God gifted us and live where we are? Can we rest in that? Can I be okay that I don't have the gift of mercy? Is that okay? Can I rest in that? I mean, yeah, I'm going to work on it and make sure that I'm not rude. And, you know, if you're in the hospital and I come to visit, don't go, oh, great, the guy without mercy. There we go. (laughs) You know what? Here's the deal. I understand that in some areas I need to ramp up mercy. And I, I hope I'm smart enough to catch those moments. My wife helps me when I'm not. But, you know, I also watch someone like Pastor Dave who just exudes mercy. And I'm constantly thinking, man, what can I learn from him? I don't want to be like him. I love him, but I don't want to be like him. Because that's not who God called me to be, right? I need to live and breathe and and move in, in my spirit the way God gifted me, but I can learn some things from other people. But the question is now, can we be okay with who we are, with who God has asked us to be, and not look across the hall or across the room and desire the gift or the ability or the passion or the shape of somebody else? Are we able to adjust our attitudes and our actions and live beyond the temptation of feeling superior to someone else? Can we love each other and embrace each other without a sense of measuring each other? Can we honestly do that? Can we honestly walk across the room, walk up to anybody and lovingly embrace them and encourage them and build them up without measuring them or sizing them up? Can we accept our differences and find unity under the banner of Christ. And what would it look like for us to see others as Christ sees them? Not their status, not their nameplate, but as Christ sees them.
And then in that moment and in that vein, be an encouragement to them. Just as Christ sees them. I don't know about you, but that's the church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that that is united under the banner of Christ, linking arm in arm with each other, with all of our differences, all of our backgrounds, all of our history, all of our baggage, all of the stuff that we bring to the table, all of our gifts, all of our abilities, all of our passions, all of our experiences, as diverse and as different as they are, not asking people to to shed them or put them aside so that we can put on the uniform, but to, to embrace them, to hold on to them, to link arm in arm so that we can stand united under the banner of Christ and make a difference in our lives, in our circle of influence, in our in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and in our city. That's the church I want to be a part of. Where we just look around the room and we just love each other. We embrace each other. We encourage each other. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We're all on this journey together. You have something to offer me that will encourage me. I hopefully will have something to offer you that will encourage you. And we try to make it from today to tomorrow in the best way we can, honoring God and honoring each other. That's the church I want to be a part of. That's a church that changes a city. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would allow this truth to rest in our heart. This truth that says your deepest desire of your church is that we would be united together for the common good. Your truth that says you have gifted us in certain ways that we may exercise that ability. So God, this morning, help us to hear your challenge to us. It may be deeply personal. It may be deeply convicting. But God, we need to hear your truth. Take that, impress it upon our heart, and this week, as we go out, may we honor you and honor each other and get from today to tomorrow embracing you.